Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Hello and welcome again to Exilic Church. My name is Matt Terrell and I am the campus minister with RUF City Campus Ministry here in New York. I may look somewhat familiar to you back, way back 10 years ago at the beginning of 2020. Uh, when we were allowed to worship together in person, my family and I began worshiping with Exilic about once a month. And I look forward to the day, hopefully soon, when we can begin to do that again. For those of you who don't know, RUF City Campus is a, a community for spiritually curious students across downtown Manhattan. We have students from NYU, we have students from the New School, students from Pace and FIT, even some students from Brooklyn at schools like Pratt. And if you find yourself curious about Christianity and wanting to learn more, or if you find yourself pretty certain about Christianity and wanting to go deeper, wanting to grow in your faith, I would love to connect with you and connect you to our community. Now, 
At the heart of the text that we just read is a question. It's, an, it's a bit of an awkward question. Jesus actually asks it three times. I don't know if you noticed this. He asks the question, do you love me? Do you love me? This question is awkward, not because there's something wrong with the question, but because it's a deeply intimate question. Like to be at the point in a relationship, whether it's with a friend or a parent or a roommate or uh, some other loved one or a romantic partner, to be at the point in a relationship where things are so difficult that one of you has to ask the question, do you love me? It's very vulnerable. It's very intimate. Because what if the answer is no? Or what if the answer is yes, but one or both of the people in the relationship haven't been, been living up to that love? Here in the passage that we just read, Jesus isn't asking the question because he doesn't know the answer. He knows the answer. But he's asking the question because he wants Peter and us to ask it of ourselves. Do we love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? For some of you, the answer is an easy yes. For others of you, it's an easy no. For others still, it might be a little bit more complicated. It's hard to sort out. Do I love Jesus or do I not love Jesus? But for all of us, it is critical that we listen to Jesus when he asks us this question. It's critical for us because in searching our own hearts for the answer, we get two things. We get to experience his love more fully and we get equipped to follow after the pattern of his love. In, in, in listening to Jesus and examining our own hearts as he asks us, do you love me? We experience the fullness of Jesus's love and we are equipped to follow the pattern of Jesus's love. That's our outline today if you're an outline person. So first, let's look at this, experiencing the fullness of Jesus's love as he asks, do you love me? You know, one of the hard things about experiencing love from anyone is that it inevitably involves being seen by others. And in particular, it involves the worst parts of us, the parts that we would rather others not see. It involves the people that we are in a loving relationship with seeing those things. One of the most beautiful things about the Harry Potter stories is its depiction of friendship, that we have these three friends who see the good and the bad and the ugly in one another. Harry and Ron and Hermione, they see each other fully. And in some pretty vivid ways, they see one another's flaws and even how those flaws hurt each other, how they result in hurting one another. Hermione and Harry see that Ron can be insecure and cowardly. And that makes him flaky and inconsistent as a friend. Harry and Ron see that Hermione can be a know-it-all jerk, and, and that makes her harsh and critical. And Ron and Hermione see that Harry can be self-important and egotistical, and that makes him moody and difficult to approach. They, they see one another's flaws. They are hurt by those flaws, and yet, in loving friendship, they choose to press on even when it's painful and costly. And this is one of the hard things about love is that it requires being seen as you really are. In order to be really loved by someone, we need to be seen 
deep down to our core by them, seen at our worst and not rejected, but actually restored. That's the height of love. And, and Jesus wants us to experience the fullness of his love. So he lovingly introduces us to ourselves. He shows us how deeply he knows us and how much he knows the ways we sin against him and how he knows those things even more clearly than we see them ourselves. And in this passage, he does this through Peter and more specifically, he does it through asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Now, a little bit of background on Peter would be helpful. When Jesus meets Peter for the first time, his name is not Peter, his name is Simon, and Jesus gives him a new name, Peter or, or Petra, which is the Greek word for rock. That what Jesus is implying is that Peter is the strong one. He is the rock upon which Jesus is going to build his church. That's a scene that happens in the beginning of John. And Peter begins to see himself as the leader, as the hero, as, as the strong one. That even when the other disciples seem weak or foolish, Peter is resolute. <laughs> he is strong and, and self-assured. The night before Jesus' death, Jesus is telling his disciples, including Peter, he's telling them what is going to happen. Jesus is telling them that when he is killed, they're all going to fall away. They're all going to have moments of weakness and deny him. And Peter, in front of the rest of the disciples, confidently declares that even if the rest of those disciples fall away, I will not. Because I am Peter, and I am the strong one. He's the rock, after all. But then, of course, in Jesus' hour of deepest need, as he's being unjustly tried and executed, Peter denies that he ever even knew Jesus. Peter denies him three times. He fails. And, and it's his deepest shame. So then we come to this particular scene. Look with me again at verses 3 through 8. Verse 3 tells us, that Peter and the other disciples have been fishing all night with no luck. It's a, it's a frustrating night. I know that Pastor Brian loves to fish, and some of you have been fishing with him, and there's nothing worse than spending all day or all night out on the water and catching nothing, getting skunked. And that's what hap what's happening to these guys here. They're, they're getting nothing, and, and they're professional fishermen. They're tired, and they're frustrated, and now they're embarrassed because in verse 5, we learn that there's this man on the beach. They don't know who this man is yet. And the man is basically calling out like, hey, how's it going out there? Any luck? And, and they have to admit to this person that they think is a stranger that no, they are not actually catching anything. And so, of course, this man in verse 6 is like, well, you know, crazy idea. Why don't you try the other side of the boat? And now you can just sort of picture the disciples rolling their eyes at one another and being like, fine, whatever, we'll try it. And they, they toss the net onto the other side of the boat. And what do you know? Their net is full of fish. Their nets are bursting with fish. And in their moment of success, they realize it's Jesus. This man on the beach is Jesus. And verse 7 tells us that Peter is so excited that he can't wait to even bring the boat to the shore. He jumps out of the boat and rushes through the water to get to Jesus. And Jesus is there waiting for him. He's preparing a meal for him on the beach. There's, there's a fire, there's bread, there's fish. But this is no ordinary meal. This is a feast. 
It's a feast of loving restoration for Peter. But it's painful at first. Because what Peter finds at this feast is that what Jesus is doing is actually returning him to the scene of his deepest shame and of his deepest failure. Look again at verse 9. Verse 9 tells us that there is this charcoal fire waiting for Peter on the beach. Now, this is an important detail because each of the Gospels, when they tell the story of Peter's denial of Jesus, they, they make care, take care to include the detail that, that Peter is around a fire. He's around a fire as he's denying Jesus. Jesus is bringing him back to the scene of his failure. And each time in verses 16 and 17 and 18, when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He doesn't refer to him by his name, Peter. He doesn't call him Peter, reminding him of the significant role that he'll be playing in Jesus' church. No, what does he do? He calls him Simon. Simon. And he asks him the question not once and not twice, but three times. Do you love me, Simon? Simon, do you, do you love me? Do you love me, Simon? And this mirrors the number of times that Peter denied Jesus. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why is Jesus doing this? Is Jesus doing this in order to shame Peter? In order to, like, rub his nose in it? Why, why is Jesus doing this for Peter? No. He's not doing this to shame him. He's doing this to restore him. He's doing this to, to bring him back. He's inviting him to experience the fullness of his love. Because don't forget this scene. They're, they're on the beach. Jesus is cooking him a meal. He's feeding him. He's welcoming him back. He's restoring him. Jesus isn't rubbing his nose in it. He's not asking Peter, what were you thinking? He's not asking Peter, how could I ever trust you again? No. He's saying, Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you love me? He's lovingly introducing Peter to himself. He's gently reminding him of the depth of his sin. He's not, he's not uh, like sweeping it under the rug, pretending like it isn't there, but he's also welcoming him rather than shunning him. He's embracing him rather than rejecting him. He's, he's feeding him. He's feeding him rather than scolding him. And what he's doing is he's inviting Peter to see that his own love for Jesus is imperfect, is inconsistent, is wavering. And yet, at the same time, he's inviting Peter to see that Jesus' love for Peter is faithful and steady and unwavering. He's inviting him to experience the fullness of his love. It's as if he's saying to Peter and to us, stop, stop. You've spent your whole life trying to perform, trying to prove that you are worthy of love. But do you see that I see through all of that? Do you see that I see your failures and I see your sin and I see your shame? Do you see that I know you better than you know yourself? And none of those things that I have seen have kept me from you and you from me. He's restoring him. He's saying, he's saying let's eat together. Let's feast together because I know you fully and I love you fully. And friends, this is what life is with Jesus is like. This is what it is like to experience the fullness of his love being known by him fully in all of our weakness, in all of our failure, in all of our sin, but not rejected, restored, embraced, welcomed, 
and fed. What I would like to submit to you this morning or suggest to you this morning is that nothing in the world is more freeing than this. Nothing is more freeing than this. We say it often in RUF that the best thing that will ever happen to you has already happened. I know that's sort of a radical thing to say to New Yorkers because in New Yorkers, we are living for the future. We're living for that future day, that future moment when we make it, when we arrive hitting that career goal or that family goal or that financial goal or that social goal. But the beautiful truth about Christianity is that the best thing that will ever happen to you has already happened to you in Jesus. That while you were yet his enemy, Christ died for you. The best thing that will ever happen to you has already happened. That the God of the universe has already seen your past and your present and your future sins and failures. And he did not run from you or reject you, but, but by unimaginable suffering and death and resurrection, he has brought you near to himself. He has restored you. And, and that is the best thing that will ever happen to you. And it's already happened to you in Jesus. And this is incredibly freeing because what it means is that you don't have to hide your failures. The yuck, the ugly parts of yourself that you want no one to see, you don't have to hide those. You don't have to posture or manage your reputation, but it also means that you don't have to flex your accomplishments. The best things about you, the parts about yourself that you're proud of and thankful for, you don't have to prove your worth. You don't have to be good or better in order to be loved. In order to experience the fullness of Jesus' love, to experience this freedom, we have to let him ask us if we love him. We have to let him ask us if we love him. We have to experience him knowing us all the way down to our shame-filled, guilt-ridden core. And then we have to experience him setting the table for us, inviting us to feast with him on his body and on his blood. But hearing Jesus ask us, do you love me, doesn't just bring us into a more full experience of his love. It also equips us for following the pattern of his love. And that's the second point for us this morning. When Jesus lovingly restores us to himself, he begins to change us and transform us from the inside out. And he sends us out into the world to follow after the pattern of his love. Here's how we see this in this passage. As Jesus is feeding Peter, he is shepherding him. He is shepherding Peter before he sends him out to feed his sheep. He's embodying for Peter the shepherding love of Psalm 23. Look with me at at Psalm 23. David writes this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Now what Jesus is doing for Peter here is he's making him to lie down. He's leading him besides still waters so that he can feed him, so that he can restore him, so that he can comfort him, so that he can assure him of of the goodness and mercy of God toward him, so that he can remind them that despite his failures, he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is showing Peter, I am your good shepherd, and you are one of my sheep. And through Peter, Jesus is inviting all of us to think about how he has done all of this for us. That in the middle of a global pandemic, in the confusion that that has brought, he is still our good shepherd. He continues to feed and care for us. And how in the pain and confusion of racial injustice against African Americans and a rise in anti-Asian racism, he is the defender of his people by his rod and by his staff. And how in the anxiety of not knowing what new trouble is going to come tomorrow, his mercies are still new every morning and he will keep and he will preserve his people to the end. And he is saying to you, I am your good shepherd, and you are one of my beloved sheep. And this is crucial because before any of us can go and be loving shepherds to others, we have to be sheep first. We have to be Jesus's sheep. Peter Scazzaro, who planted New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, He says that we cannot give away to others what we do not possess for ourselves. So if we want to shepherd our our family members and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors into experiencing the fullness of Jesus's love, we have to be shepherded by him first. We have to be shepherded by him first. So as Jesus himself has given himself for us and shepherded us, we give ourselves to one another and to our neighbors that they might know the love of Jesus more more deeply. Now, let's not sentimentalize this because giving of ourselves in love is costly. In fact, the end of this passage alludes to that fact for Peter that it will mean that he is going to die in a manner similar to that of Jesus. And I'm sure Peter had had dreams of what it meant for him to be the rock upon which Jesus was going to build his church. But following the pattern of Jesus' love didn't lead to success in the way that Peter probably hoped. It led to a painful end, a costly end, but an end that brought glory to God. Now, I don't know. I don't know what following the pattern of Jesus' love is going to look like for you or what it's going to cost you, but I know that it will involve some kind of death. Perhaps not your literal physical death, but possibly the death of your plans and your dreams, possibly the death of some of your comfort or some of your money, possibly the death of some of your time and your energy or some of the success that you hoped to achieve, But, but real love is costly. And I know this is hard for New Yorkers because we come to New York with big plans and big dreams. We don't come to New York to die. We come to New York to live. We come to New York to make it. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to make it. There's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve success 
and do the best that you can with the opportunities that have been given to you. There's nothing wrong with that, but if we're honest, oftentimes the main reason that we want to, to do our best is not so that we can love God and love our neighbor, but it's to love ourselves and bring glory to ourselves. Because we think that being rich will make us safe. And because we think that being adored by others will make us feel loved. And because we think that being successful will make us feel like our life finally matters, that it adds up to something. But the truth is, if you ask your money to make you feel safe, if you ask your money to feel safe, to make you feel safe, you'll never ever have enough because there will always be some looming crisis that can come and take it away from you. And if you ask your reputation to make you feel loved, then you'll always be lonely because you'll only be able to hide your failures and your flaws from others because being truly known will be a threat. Will be a threat to your reputation. And if you ask your success or your, your excellence, your achievements, to make your life matter, then you will never be able to rest because there will always be somebody right on your heels, ready to do it better, ready to do it faster, ready to do it with more efficiency. There will all, you'll never be able to rest. But, but, if you are already fully known and fully loved by Jesus, then you already have everything that you need. The best thing that will ever happen to you has already happened to you. So you can have wealth or poverty and feel safe because he is the good shepherd who loves you and protects you and keeps you and provides for you. And you can be adored or despised by those around you and still be okay because he has set his love on you. And there is nothing you can do and nothing anyone else can say to take that away or diminish it at all. And you can have success or failure and still know that your life matters. That your life matters. Because you mattered so much to God that he sent his only son to die for you. In order that he might welcome you back. And feed you. Feast with you. And what that does is it actually equips you to follow the pattern of his great love. To give up lesser loves like money or success or comfort because you already have everything that you need. To give up those lesser loves, to see someone else, your spouse, your child, somebody in your building or on your block, maybe even someone around the world that you've never met yet. To see them flourish and to see God be glorified. It frees you to lose so that others might win. It frees you to give so that others might have. It frees you to die so that others might live. Jesus asks us, do you love me? Do you love me? And in so doing, he invites us to experience how deep and tenacious his love for us is. And then he sends us out into our, our friendships and our families and our buildings and our neighborhoods and beyond to follow in the pattern of his love, giving of ourselves so that others might live, so that others might experience the fullness of Jesus' love. Would you pray with me?